Hello and welcome to episode 78 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. I'm your host Matthew Neugebauer coming to you on this May 18th, 2022. It is the Tuesday after the 7th Sunday of Easter, also known as Ascension Sunday somewhere, sometimes. Uh, Force Ghost Anakin Sunday, if you want to go that far. Uh, I'm going to talk to you today about the Bad Batch more appreciatively in this episode. Um, but first, I do want to address the fact that We've now moved to Tuesdays, and there's two reasons for that, both related to Star Wars content that is coming out. The first is uh, Fridays, as I said, Fridays Bad Batch episodes will drop, uh, and and so this puts this closer to when the episode drops uh, for me to have some time to think about and process, and then come and comment on it well in advance of. The next episode, of course, when Loki <laughs> starts dropping in uh, early June, um, that's going to mess that schedule up. But no, I'm going to stick with Tuesdays, afternoons, evenings, see how well that works. Um, so there's that. And then also, I usually read my comics on Mondays. And so uh, I think I mentioned that before. And I do want to uh, have closer time to when i'm reading reading them to talk about the poll list especially because uh, this summer into all the way down to october the big star wars crossover event the war of the bounty hunters is on and i think it does deserve uh more more play more airtime than maybe some folks are going to give it so yeah i i kind of have a this fanciful thought it's a type of thing that deserves its own spin-off, just like people give to the Bad Batch or other, or the Mandalorian or other things. Uh, I'm gonna devote uh, at least a part of my poll list to the latest War of the Bounty Hunters uh, crossover. And on that note, we had the second issue. So this is now the poll list. Diving right in, we had the second issue of of this War of the Bounty Hunters. In this case, it was the uh, the Star Wars ongoing comic by Charles Sewell. The first one, uh, also by Charles, so the War of the Bounty Hunters prelude that set up the crossover, that's also by Charles Sewell, who, as if you guys know me, my favorite comic book writer right now, uh, one of my favorite authors, he of course wrote Light of the Jedi and the High Republic, the High Republic novel, and uh, yeah, his, his Darth Vader 2017 comic is very much my favorite comic book of all time. Just the way he can really pace a story using that visual medium i mean light of the jedi was was a good novel but i mean his comics are even better so uh i, I will say so yeah both the, the the war of the bounty hunters prelude and the star wars ongoing prelude off to a great start very you know exciting intrigue and action and they're doing something different than they did with uh with the original first phase of comics, if you will, from 2015 to 2020, we didn't weren't sure when they get to Empire Strikes Back. We know this is sort of sort of matching up with the real time gap in, between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. That this story will culminate into the events of Return of the Jedi. They've told that told us that uh, in uh, just the, the the promotional materials and whatnot. One of the things that was interesting I want to highlight about the Light of the Jedi, or not the Light of the Jedi, War of the Bounty Hunters prelude, sorry, is there is a focus on Boba Fett because the the idea is it's Boba taking 
Han and Coronite to Jabba, but all the adventures and misadventures along the way. And uh, maybe I've mentioned this before. I mentioned this, I'm pretty sure, uh, when uh, when he shows up in The Mandalorian. I only care about Boba Fett when, for two way, in two reasons, when they address, especially when they address his origins in Attack of the Clones, when they flesh that out. Otherwise, he's just some random guy in a green and red Mandalorian armor, and that's cool. I know for some that might be heresy, but I, I mainly care about him in light of his origins as a clone of his father and, and what that means for him going forward. So the Mandalorian episode on Tython was brilliant for that. I really enjoyed that. And and yeah, uh, some other spots throughout that show. And in this episode, we in this issue in the uh, War of the Bounty Hunters prelude, we do get a bit of a moment where he does uh, does remember the death of his father, <laughs> and that impacts him in in the present time in the events the events after Empire Strikes Back. So that I'm excited for. Another little moment of very rich interest is. Uh, and this is going to be a bit of a spoiler, I'm sorry. In the latest, The War of the Bounty Hunters, in the ongoing comic, Star Wars comic, uh, we see Luke getting... Oh, so how, sorry, how R2 has a list of old Jedi temples for Luke to go explore. And that's, I mean, that makes sense within this comic. The ongoing Star Wars comic is always going to be following the big three, or I guess now it's the big two, Luke and Leia. And what I speculate, I don't know. It's the type of thing they seed in because I wonder if they're going to use comic books and a comic book series to show Luke and I guess Lando exploring these ancient Jedi temples, this ancient Jedi lore. This uh, this one issue, this latest issue, uh, you know, has Luke and Lando teaming up and Chewie they're following a lead to where Han might be to go and try and rescue him. So we'll see. I mean, Charles soul, he knows how to seed things in. He knows how to make sense of the rise of Skywalker in ways that I think we, we need. I've mentioned how Greg Pak's Vader comic is starting to do that as well. Set around the same time. So hopefully that is in fact, unexpectedly part of, the story groups and the just the Lucasfilm publishing adding some meat to the bone. That was a film that lacked meat on the bone. So that's, I mean, that's what Canon is really good for. And, uh, you know, I, I don't need to belabor this point, but I think people generally agree at the very least, you know, don't need to be rigid in terms of keeping consistency. But when someone wants to tell a story in a comic or a novel, that there's room there and that uh, that can be really rich and really appreciative. And so uh, I'm definitely enjoying this War of the Bounty Hunters. It, it is, especially because it's a crossover, we do get the Luke-Leia, uh, Chewie, the, especially with Luke, we have his Jedi growth. That will um, add a bit of a nice counterweight to what is otherwise a, a very underworld by definition underworld rich underworld heavy story war of the bounty hunters right <laughs> so um 
a nice counterweight. I'm I'm more interested in now. I'm still more invested in in the Bounty Hunters comic now. Again, especially that Bioalert is connecting with the Rebel Alliance. So it is. I mean, that's the thing with Return of the Jedi. Is everything culminates on that point. Just the how. Um, I think with Bad. I want to talk about Bad Batch two weeks ago, a few weeks ago, not two weeks ago, but more than three or four weeks ago. How everything in that era is going to culminate in A New Hope. Well, everything after A New Hope culminates in Return of the Je- Return of the Jedi and that that uh, focal point. So uh, we'll see how much that plays into this crossover event. I think because it's a crossover event, it might tie things in better. But we'll see. Who knows? All right. So our main topic, and I want to address the fact that uh, the last time I recorded an episode a few weeks ago, I I focused on some uh, a negative, <laughs> a point of negativity, a point of disagreement with the storytelling in the Bad Batch. It was about the first five minutes, and the fact of the matter is, I'm actually really into the show now. I knew I would be, and. I mean, Dave Filoni and it's Jennifer Corbett who wrote Resistance, who did a great job there. They're doing a great job with with uh, with the Bad Batch now, and that's here's the funny thing: is they're exploring the transition between the Republic and the Empire. They're exploring then the transition between the Clone Army, the Grand Army of the Republic, and the Imperial Stormtrooper Corps, and. Uh, I mean, that's the story I wanted to hear. It's the story I wanted to see. And they're doing it. But uh, one thing I didn't expect was the focus of this show would become, at least for me, the relationship between Hunter and Omega. And how the most interesting thing that happens in every episode is something to affect Hunter's character, affect Omega's character, and the relationship between the two of them. Right, the first one, the, the 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 opening episode, Hunter taking on Omega and um, seeing how she can uh, pick up that blaster and just fire away. And there's something special about her. Then the whole Bad Batch. I've seen them affectionately called the Dad Batch when it comes to Omega, uh, taking her in as one of their own. Right, I mean, it's it's kid sister older brothers but you know there, there's a i mean it's a parenting dynamic because it's it's the, that's the circumstances um you, know, you even see wrecker you, know, you think wrecker is this uh very gruff distant kind of guy but he's not at all <laughs> and as we saw with in the cut laquain episode cut and run he already has a relationship with the kids who are with cuts kids or who are his niece and nephew effectively. And so we see in this latest episode, the sensitivity that Wrecker has in, in making Omega uh, a room. He very quickly learns he has to share the rations. He has to ensure that she's eating uh, that wonderful moment where a wonderful, humorous, interesting moment where Wrecker accepts the rations from her. And then Hunter has to say, no, she's got to eat. <laughs> Uh, you can't, you can't just do that. I mean, and and Wrecker accepts that very quickly. And what's nice there then is is we're showing more weight to this character. It wasn't um, more weight to this character that we you know 
we we didn't expect would be uh more than one dimensional like the gruff lift in the 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 gonk droid will eating a turkey leg i mean that's the thing about that show is that it has the time to go into these things and appreciate that it does hunter we even see that change from the uh the cut and run episode to uh this latest episode i forget the name of it where um you know the first in the cut and run episode when when she's being uh, almost attacked by the nexu and he he goes to her and says what's wrong with you why are you why are you putting yourself in danger he's scared himself but of course cut tells him you know you had this under control she's not a soldier <laughs> she's a kid and so to learning to be reassuring and comforting as well as protecting we know that hunter has it in him to protect her i know that that's that's an innate sense that again we see in that moment with the rations them learning developing picking this up i think it's going to be a big uh big journey a big step in them going beyond just being soldiers because i think that is what has to happen in this show they can't simply be i mean they are ne were never good soldiers following orders right they were more in the anakin vein of uh, we're going to think for ourselves and, and discern for ourselves and i think that is partly as a mentioned before why order 66 never really affected them what's my theory of why order 66 even if cut heard it he would have the the mental stamina to just ignore it because it was ridiculous <laughs> whereas soldiers clone soldiers who are just used to following orders and fighting and being aggressive they think okay the they accepted it thing that rex says you always have a choice Anyway, that, that was a bit of a sidebar. The point being, uh, you know, this kid has been dropped into their lives. And when that happens, at least in store, well, in, in real life too, right? Of, of course, in real life. That changes these adult characters. Of course, we're also going to see Omega and her growth and development. Why the Kaminoans developed her um we get a hint of that as part of the reason why the bad batch exists clone force 99 exists we know that you know, nala and lamasu are, are talking about them wanting to be Django 2.0 this next source of a superior clone we'll see how uh how that plays into well see how that plays into what omega is capable of and then the choices that she's presented with right just like ezra in a lot of ways she's presented with um the choice to use her powers for good or he has ezra is when and ezra is quote-unquote older to use her his powers for good or for evil the light side and the dark i think omega is going to face a similar trial it's going to look different it's going to look probably closer to what we see in um, justina ireland's younger grade novel i forget the high republic novel um, 
Great Jedi Rescue. Is that what it is? No, I don't think it is. I'm sorry. I'm blanking on the name. I have read it. <laughs> um, and we see younger characters there. You see, you know, 12, 13, 14 year olds. And of course, Omega is as a clone, the accelerated agent. So she is going to face these questions and she needs the Bad Batch. She needs Hunter to teach her to how to discern these things, both as protective and as compassionate. And so Hunter then needs to learn that himself. And I think he's going to actually see the need to do that uh, as part of his responsibility to her as kind of the next generation, if you will, as this kid that's dropped into his lap to take care of. It reminds me of uh, two things, two other parts of Star Wars storytelling, because this is a variation on a theme that we have, that there is an older character that interacts with and comes up to a younger character. And I, I think it made me think of, I mean, the, the obvious parallel that other folks have mentioned is, okay, we have Din and we have Grogu, right? The Din is this bounty hunter who is trying to you know, stay on the guild's good side or get back on the guild. No, trying to stay on the guild's good side and has a job to do, but is a foundling himself and is also part is part of this Mandalorian sect that does value honor and uh, and their own identity and um, here it comes this child that gets dropped into his lap in that first episode he has a very or a second episode rather he has a very clear choice that to either let Grogu go into the hands of these Imperial cloners or uh, again Imperial cloners or at what he ends up doing, taking the child under his wing into the Razor Crest. The difference there, of course, is uh, that the Grogu is much younger and much not capable of making really making much decisions for himself, much discerning, isn't capable of actually speaking basic, even if it would be the garble basic of Yoda's species. And yet there's that similar theme. The other extreme of that, and I wonder if the reason I thought of it was because, maybe because of Omega's gender, I don't know. But uh, we see Ray coming to Octo to Luke, Luke. And Luke is this gruff old, at this point, Jedi set in his ways, thinking that it's time for the Jedi to end. And of course, Ray's journey is where she's at in her life and much older to say no um you know you you think this is the, your response is to just radically wipe the map of of the jedi wipe the jedi off the map like this and instead i'm going i've made this discernment and, and recognized that the correct response is to stand on the shoulders of jedi history and jedi tradition and so I'm going to go off and I'm going to do this crazy plan that I think is going to turn Kylo back to the light side, but I really don't know. And I'm going to just go and I'm going to take these books with me 
And of course, Ray is again a lot older, but that's the the trajectory that I think Omega ultimately that kind of thing. I don't think Hunter is necessarily going to be as gruff and as wrong as Luke was, but uh, there might come a point where they are stuck being soldiers because that's how they are. Even Rex, old man Rex, he's still kind of a soldier, even though they. There, he and Wolf and Gregor are out in the desert. I wonder if Omega is going to actually have to transcend even that. And so the clone who refuses to, just a lot like Cut. I mean, that's the thing. We have Cut at the very beginning here. The clone who refuses to simply be a soldier and to simply fight, especially if she's force sensitive and way too powerful. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, I'm really appreciating the where this show is going. Um, I do wonder when we're going to see Rex. We've already seen Saw, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely curious to follow the story, and I'm going to get into that in a second. So the thing about this story, though, is it is a bit of a slow burn. We at least. The second that second episode to me exemplifies the way thing the way the series is going to play out. And, and the thing the weird thing though is it's a lot more memorable than the the latest episode, which again I can't remember the name. But in both of those, you know, the plot doesn't really move very far. They don't gain any sort of equipment or knowledge, uh, or not so much knowledge, but they don't come really closer to, say, their goal of hiding or transforming into something that the Empire is going to ignore. We don't see them joining up with any sort of rebel alliance or anything. Whatever their goal is, like maybe their goal right now is going to be to get Crosshair back. And I do think that's that attempt is coming. We, we know that. They're going to attempt that. But in the last two episodes, I mean, they land, uh, they land on Salukamai, they chat with Cut, they help Cut's family leave, and then they fly off. In this latest episode, they crash on this planet, they have to get their power thing back, I forget what it is, and they sustain a bit of damage, they repair it, and they get the thing back, and then they leave. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's not dramatically moving the story forward and i love it because here's the thing we're in an era right now where we are told well where we have come from uh the the very binge worthy uh, every episode something major happens uh, you know i think starting with I, I haven't seen breaking bad but shows like breaking bad in 24 and Battlestar Galactica, and moving, I guess, moving ahead to, um, I don't know, you know, the, the, that very, you know, very, not serialized, the opposite of serialized, uh, continuous, episodic, edge-of-your-seat storytelling, yeah, in which something major happens every episode. I think Discovery, again, I talk about the first season of Discovery being part of that era. And 
what we saw, I think, especially with The Last Jedi, in the response to The Last Jedi, is that that had trained us as an audience to expect something major every single time. I think one of the things that Falcon Winter Soldier did poorly was it gave us something too much and too much of a focus on one character happening in every single episode. And it could have done better with more time to breathe and more time to explore, especially Bucky's story. That's a good example of a story, a show kind of being out of time. And, you know, we saw it with The Last Jedi. We see it with, saw it with WandaVision. Um, there's another show, Picard. We very much saw it with Picard, how every, it was like that, the card dealer just unfolding a little bit every time. A little bit of the puzzle comes together every single time. And I think that with The Bad Batch, too, is... You know, just a little piece of the puzzle is coming together every single time because what's the more important thing is what I was saying for the last 20 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever that it's Hunter and Omega growing as characters together, and we're seeing the other characters be more enriched as well. That the real story of this show is what I was talking about. is Hunter learning to be more than just a soldier and actually be a parent and caring for this parent. It's Omega being more than just a clone and embracing her personality and individuality while the rest of the galaxy is moving in the exact opposite direction. So that transition from Republic to Empire that I thought was going to be the main thing because I'm really super interested in that. And that's great. It's actually really just the backdrop. It's the background. And it's the, the, the slowly fading atmosphere. It's the setting for this character-driven story. That That is going to see change every single time. So I do think we are in an era uh, of what I'm calling slow burn storytelling, right? Picard learning to embrace his, his age and his frailty. And... You know, the fact and and the implications of you know the the right choice maybe that he made of standing up to the federation um, learning to here's another example uh is it sochi that comes to him and eventually or sochi and vaj and daj i forget the names learning to let this younger woman change his perspective on life would actually be more hopeful, more joyful. There is a very strong parallel there with Last Jedi and Picard. But just like The Last Jedi, you know, the, the plot only really happens. The plot that we think, like the the big social, political events, the, the goal of the characters, the operational goals, the mission, if you will, that only happens at the end, right? That, I mean, in The Last Jedi, they, just, the, the Resistance just becomes so decimated because they've been on the run, and that's all that happens in the story uh, is that they're on the run, but the real thing that happens is that Rey, as I said before, learns to 
stand up and carry on the legacy of the Jedi in a new way. Finn stands up and sees the underbelly, the dark underbelly, and is going to hopefully carry on the aims of the Resistance, not just the Republic, but whatever the next thing looks like in a new and reformed way. Poe learning to take on a richer leadership that is more sensitive to those needs in the present as well. You know, none of that has anything necessarily directly to do with what happens. You know, the resistance getting decimated, it's what they learn through that and through retreating. I wonder if frankly, yeah, I would just wonder if that was one of the sorry, what part of the reaction to this film is you expect those things to happen and really it's character things that happen. I think WandaVision is really the the classic case now, at least in, in 2021, of that working perfectly. We have those first two episodes in black and white, and we have no idea what's going on. All we see is Wanda concocting this fantasy of of a domestic household. And gradually over time, we see, okay, she's created this hex and the simulation, and then the sword, and the conflict between Hayward and Monica, and all this stuff happening, those operational missions. But the heart of the story is Wanda acknowledging her trauma and her loss, and then her power to to affect change positively. Hopefully, the choice positively, and. Uh, I mean, part of that for her is also parenting, is becoming a mother, letting these kids affect her her focus and her outlook. But it happens, and it really only happens, we only see it happening towards the end. We only see her being able to, I mean, we have the big action sequences with her and Agatha at the end. The whole, it was Agatha all along, that those pieces come together at the end, because that's not really the focus. The focus, again, is with Wanda and her growth as a character into recognizing, reconciling with her past and becoming the Scarlet Witch. That's hard for us to to grapple with. We again, we we want maybe this is maybe there is a, a gender thing there too. Is us dudes, we want action, we want mission, we want stuff to happen. We don't want to be lectured. We don't want to be preached to. We don't want to have to be brought into the inner mind of uh, you know a mid-twenties woman or a whatever nine-year-old girl or whoever but uh, we need to unlearn what we've learned and we need to accept that uh, there's a larger story out there than simply this is the irony it's a larger story of how people experience the world. People, including such as women, such as girls, <laughs> experience the world in a, in a world that tells them to stuff their trauma and to, uh, or, or to, to kick butt and take names only, or that they're not special, that they're not supposed to stand up. How dare they? No. We need stories, and we need more stories of women and girls learning to do that. And so 
that's the parallel then with with Omega, what I hope to see with Omega, what I hope to, what we did see with Ray, what we will continue to see with Wanda Maximoff. But it, 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 again, it's, it's a slow burn. And that's the thing is if we're open to just giving it a shot, my dudes, if we're open to saying, oh, here's this girl plopped into our midst, into our fictional midst, if you will, these these male characters, they're maybe quote unquote hampered by their mission to blend in and hide and whatever, again, whatever it is the Bad Batch is going for. And I hope that does get clarified because there is an important story focus there. But the main story focus really uh, of the Bad Batch is what happened with Omega. So, I'm, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm just more wired to stick it out. I don't know. Um, you know, I admit I, it, it is hard sometimes, you know, we were very much, you know, it could, it might not just be a gender thing. It could also be, uh, in our age, we talk in our age of Instagram and Twitter and social media and TikTok and these little videos that or a minute long or less that something always has to happen in them. We also need to have the counterbalance at least to say, okay, what is happening for these characters in this moment, in this exchange, right? Omega having the courage to go and step out and face that monster in that, the, the gopher hole. And then we reveal what's revealed there is she actually has the wisdom, the creativity to recognize, okay, well, just once the electricity, so I'll distract it with the flashlight and pick up the power thing. I think part of that is I mean, she's an enhanced clone. She has that capacity within her. And it's going to be hopefully easier to digest than the folks who were offended by Ray and all that Mary Sue nonsense. Which I don't buy for a second, for the record. I, I, yeah, but, you know, this episode, again, it it didn't get the Bad Batch necessarily closer to their goal, but it revealed that about her character. And we're going to continue to see more about what the Kaminoans were thinking, what they were hoping, what they were planning for. They're going to be faced with a choice. Uh, Lamasu and Nalase, they're going to be faced with a, a political choice. Are these just assets? These five clones, including this younger girl, are they just assets to secure the position of Camino within the Empire? Which we see probably doesn't actually work out. Or is this bad batch, are they going to be more, are Nalase and Lamasu going to resist the, the bad batch, the characters push to be more than property to be more than just soldiers are they going to actually support that maybe there's going to be a split between the two of them uh, because is it was it lama su is the one who's been working with omega her affection for omega and care for her might actually lend her to uh, commit treason against the empire go against the empire and go against Camino's interests in securing its place in the Empire. That might be another 
key to the Rebel Alliance. But again, it's going to be driven by how human these Bad Batch characters come out. And by human, I don't mean, you know what I mean, how, how real, fleshed out. Like the Kaminoans, quote unquote, humanity, is that going to be affirmed and asserted, or is it going to be given into by political and economic demands? So, yeah, all that to say, I, I am definitely loving the show. I have completely made my peace with the retcon thing. I'm not worried about it. I mean, I won't say completely, but you know, I, I've moved on. <laughs> um, and I'm, yeah, excited for every Friday morning, just tuning in. Star Wars is back. Uh, animated Star Wars, new Star Wars content. You know, it's been a few months, but it's going strong. And as we knew it would, at least I could, I, I thought it would. Because, you know, Dave Filoni and Jennifer Corbett are at the top of their game. So I, I urge you to stick it out. I think Loki might also be a slow burn a little bit. Please stick that out too. Uh, because when you look back, like when I look back on Picard, like and we all look back on WandaVision, what a, what a story. What a pair of stories. And uh, I mean, it, with Picard, just last point here, Picard's also an older character. And so their perspective of age is there too. So... I recommend, given given these slow burn shows a shot, you might become a better character yourself for it. So this has been episode 78 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. If you like what you heard, if you didn't, let me know at NEUG485 over on Twitter. <laughs> on Instagram at MNEUG1138. Thanks for listening. May the Force be with you. Always.